Welcome back to Black Muse. But before we get started with tonight's guest, I want to give a special thank you to Howard Sandifer and his wife, Darlene Sandifer. They are the founders of the Chicago West Community Music Center on the west side of Chicago. They said, let's do a video podcast. Let's have lively conversation with newsmakers. So with that in mind, we have a great newsmaker with us tonight. Her name is Hermine Hartman. She's the founder and publisher of Indigo, a leading black newspaper, a mega paper in Chicago. And also we're gonna spend a few minutes talking about a very famous relative of hers that we all still love and adore. The late, great Johnny Hartman, who was, who is her uncle. So anyway, I'll let her start. Hermine, how are you? I'm good. I'm wonderful. How are you? It's so good okay. to see you. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So let's start at somewhere, somewhere at the beginning. What prompted you to launch Indigo Mega Paper back in 1989? So the motivation was I was sick and tired of the way uh, white newspapers were covering uh, Black folk. Uh, it wasn't in our uh, entirety. It wasn't in our fullness. It wasn't in our full repertoire of who we were and who we are and what we do and our lifestyles and so forth. And um, I was at the, I was, I've had a, two careers. I was at the college then and I was um, a communications um, director, communications reported to me. And um, <clears throat> I noticed that when I was recruiting for my students, for eight different colleges, uh, we were only using one medium and that was print. And I thought if we would use the community papers, you know, at one time, uh, Clarence Chicago, I think had more community newspapers than any place in the country. And I wanted to place ads in those community papers. So uh, I had to fight to get that done because everybody thinks everybody reads the Chicago Tribune. Uh, that's not true. And so when I was able to pull out of the Tribune using it sometimes, but not our sole source, and we went to community papers, my enrollment went up by 25%. So I knew uh, kind of intuitively that that would be a good thing, but I was also realizing we are not reaching the market. We're not reaching uh, brown people and we're not reaching African-American people. And I wanted to reach people where they were. So putting the two together, the editorial, if you will, the content they call it now and of the news, and then putting the economics together, I realized that there was a, there was a market and there was a niche and it was missing. And so I went to work. Got it. That now is online. So how is that working out for you? What's going on online? Online is a transition. It's a transition that print media, be you a magazine or be you at a newspaper, it's something that we're all going through. I stopped printing 
a newspaper in 2017. Uh, when I saw Newsweek go out of business, uh, I was that was my signal. It's like, okay, where is this going? Uh, we were all scrambling, big papers, little papers, black papers, white papers, everybody was kind of scrambling for uh, how do we deal with this thing called the internet? Uh, and obviously it impacted communications in a very, very significant and a big way. As far as I'm concerned, the Wall Street Journal is the only one who did it correctly at that time. And though being correct was they always charge for their content. Uh, what a lot of the newspapers were doing was giving it away. They would like, you advertise in the paper and then we'll bonus you on the internet, not realizing that the internet was becoming a very strong entity of its own. So you had to make that transition um, or make that decision to print, not to print or to transition. And I finally got to the transition point when I saw, uh, I saw Newsweek go out of business. That was, as you know, a prime magazine uh, because it was, uh, it was newsy, uh, advertising was not an issue. And when they said, we have to go out, I saw the handwriting on the wall and that's when I stopped publishing. And you and Indigo Galas were always the ticket in town. Everyone wanted to, to go to those. You've had Aretha Franklin and Sidney Poitier. Who were some of your favorites that you enjoyed working with? Oh, they were all marvelous to work with. Uh, sometimes, as you might know, remember, uh, we introduced talent. Uh, uh, Natalie Cole was a favorite. She did her show uh, where she paid tribute to her father and did her duet with her father. That show was, was, was new at that time. Uh, George Benson, uh, I love the George Benson show. He was uh, absolutely fabulous. We introduced Lettucey. We did Lettucey at the Opera House. She was, she was new. I heard her doing jazz uh, somewhere and we introduced her. We also introduced Gregory Porter at the Symphony Center. I did a show with Gregory Porter and uh, it was a jazz show. It was Gregory Porter and oh my gosh, what's the, like uh, I'm awful to remember not her name. What's what's the jazz lady's name? Um, ah, I can't think of her name. But it, we introduced Gregory Porter, Diana Reeves. Uh, we did a combined show with Diana Reeves and wow. Gregory Porter. And here's my very favorite show. Uh, hmm. I guess it's historic now, but it was our very first show at the Symphony Center. And, you know, Charles, I like to produce. I like kind of, okay, this is what I want you to do. And you got to do it like this. And you got to do it, get on, I probably get on everybody's nerve, uh, but I get my show. And so the show that we did that I produced was Ray Charles. Ray Charles with a 40 piece orchestra. And everybody who saw that show that night still remembers the show. It was historic. Uh, because he did have the orchestra and it was historic in that he played the saxophone. Did you know Ray Charles played saxophone? No, I did not. Ray Charles. No. Let me tell you, let me tell you, you appreciate this. Let me give you some historical tidbits on this Go show. Ahead. Go ahead. When Ray Charles came out to play, 
the orchestra did the overture. You know how orchestra does an overture. And when Ray Charles sat down, he was like, like, what are you all doing? And, you know, they froze. And Ray Charles said, the violins were playing. And Ray said, stop, stop the music, stop. And he said, don't no violins leave Ray. I'm Ray Charles and I lead you. You don't lead me, stop. And he, he made everybody stop now, be still. And then bam, he started playing that piano. He said, now follow me. This is Brother Ray. And the show just took off, but it scared me. Then he got up, he played, he did, I mean, did must play two, two and a half hours, but he got up and he went and picked up the saxophone and he walked that stage playing the saxophone. Um, and I didn't know he played the saxophone. It was a marvelous, wonderful, incredible evening. Wow, I never knew that. I yep. never knew that. Ray I Charles, the right. Orchestra, man, you talk about some music and he did anything and everything and said, now follow this. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. That was a great show. Yeah, yeah. So now you always uh, reinventing yourself, looking ahead and all that. And now you have a TV program. So yes. tell us about that, the talk show that you have now. So Indigo Studio, uh, is still kind of carrying the mission, if you will, of uh, Indigo as a newspaper. And that's to tell stories untold, mistold, that need to be retold about Black folks. So we're still introducing people uh, and the activities and the things that they do. And we talk about lifestyles and we talk about issues. We put some panel discussions together and talk a little politics, uh, do some analysis and, um, you know, just talk about who we are and what we do and where we are and how we're doing it. And it's a, it's a good show. We're on NBC. We're in hiatus now, but we'll start back up uh, in the fall. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun doing it and uh, introduce, keep, it, keep introducing us to us and to others. Absolutely. All right. And you won an Emmy nomination for the show. How we did. We won uh, in our second season. We yeah. had an uh, Emmy nomination for an interview. We won. Our, our nomination was for the best interview discussion show in the Midwest. And uh, the show that won that was the show that we did with Reverend Jesse Jackson. So there is a book, a guy named David Muscrata uh, has written a book on why Jesse Jackson matters. But the book yeah. is not biographical. It is, it, it, it focuses in on Reverend Jackson's political contributions to the Democratic Party. So he, he looks at Jesse internationally uh, and domestically and how he changed the Democratic Party uh, from uh, voter gets all in the plurality of the Democratic vote and uh, it changed American politics, really. People don't always uh, give credit for that, but that is what he did. And uh, we, so we focused in on, on that poli political uh, structure that changed, that allowed, people always say Jesse laid the path for Barack. 
Jesse really laid the path for Clinton because that was the first to use that premise. So it was Clinton and then Barack um, that you know took the plurality from the delegate voting. Wow, going going back to you, to you, um, your father was the first black distributor at Pepsi, and your mother was an administrator at Cook County Hospital. How did they inspire you? It sounds like a very privileged childhood as well, but but either way, how did they inspire you? Excellence, do your best at everything and always. That, that was the message from both of them. My father was an entrepreneur. So he was always finding the innovation in something or the money making in something. Uh, and my mother in her way, uh, you know, do your best, read your books, uh, write your papers, um, make sure that it's correct um intellectual curiosity uh, but it was always excellence for in my household it was a, i brought home i'll tell you a story glance i brought home c's one time i was in college i think i was my first freshman year and i brought home um four c's and my parents were very very upset with me because i did not get a's i got c's and so we had a we had a rock and roll kind of weekend where it was like, this is not what we do here. That's not what we're raising. You are in college, you have the opportunity, you have the advantage, you don't have to work. Uh, you will bring A's in this house. And uh, that's, that's, that's how you get there. It takes, it takes strong parents to, sometimes to force it, but, uh, from then on, it was like that's what you're gonna do in this house, and so they were that. That was that was the real inspiration, I think, the the demand, if you will. Right, and you were named obviously after your father. Absolutely, yeah. After my dad, my dad was Herman. I'm Hermine. Hermine, yes, yes. Now, something for our young listeners, education. You sort of alluded to it. You have you have degrees from the University of Illinois. You have an MBA. In, in degrees in sociology and education. Um, how did that prepare you for what you're doing today? So uh, Clarence, I had another whole career. I was a, a intern at City Colleges. I went to Roosevelt University and uh, I was trained to be, uh, I was in sociology and psychology. Those are my bachelor's, but then when I, my master's you had a discipline, but you also had community college teaching, philosophy of education. And um, I was trained to be a community college professor. And so um, I went to Roosevelt because I wanted to study under two particular black professors. One was St. Clair Drake and the other was Dr. Charles Hamilton. And uh, Hamilton was a political scientist. Drake was a sociologist and an anthropologist. And they wrote books. They did studies and they wrote books. And I wanted to follow their footsteps. Uh, they were scholarly researchers, uh, participant observer kind of research. And I was very impressed with that. And that's, that's kind of where I was headed. Uh, so I say, instead of writing books, I wrote newspaper articles. So I guess okay. that was uh, that was somewhat of the of the influence 
uh, that, that they had on me. And I'm, I'm proud to tell you next week, May 6th, uh, I'm going to get an honorary doctorate from Roosevelt. Okay, congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Thank okay, you. Much. Cool. You started your career working with the Reverend Jesse Jackson. Yes. And you coordinated the very first Black Expo. Right. How was that experience? So I was still a student. I was still in school. And uh, I went and started working with uh, what was then Operation Breadbasket. And so, um, as you know, um, Breadbasket was very much concerned about uh, economics, economic uh, getting black products on shelves, uh, marketing um, to black folks, stuff like that. And so he came up with the idea to have uh, an exposition and we called it Black Expo. Uh, I was uh, the cultural uh, chair. Expo had two parts, well, three parts to it, really. It had business where we displayed uh, our businesses. And then we had the cultural um, uh, segment, which was art and cultural uh, things. And then we, of course, we had entertainment. So I was in the, I was the chair of the cultural um, aspect. And uh, of course, love and entertainment like I do, I got a chance to work with greats like Quincy Jones and Cannonball Adderley uh, in the entertainment. I, I, I dabbed in that also. And it was, it was great. Uh, to this date, Clarence, as you may know, uh, that's been the biggest exposition of Black folks in this country. And it was, it was indeed something. It was quite an event at the uh, Chicago International Amphitheater. That's where it was held. Wow. Now, let's go talk about Johnny Hartman, your uncle. Mm -hmm. His last Chicago performance was 1983. I'm sure mm -hmm. you were there. What do you remember most about the concert? What where was it? Where was the concert? At Airy Crown, I believe. Airy Crown Theater. Was it Airy Crown or was it Auditorium Theater? I, I still want to say Airy Crown. Well, he was a jazz singer. He was a balladeer. He's been known to be recognized as the greatest jazz singer, actually. Um, his album, uh, Lush Life, with uh, saxophonist Coltrane and Johnny Hartman is often referred to as the greatest jazz album ever recorded. Um, Coltrane was saxophonist and Johnny Hartman is the only person he's ever recorded a vocal with. Um, I did some research, this is, took me some years to do this, but they were both at a label called Impulse, which was a jazz label. And they both had one more album to do to fulfill the contract. And somebody said, let's put them together. And that way they could kill two birds with one stone in the fulfillment of both of their contracts. And I understand that was the genesis. That was kind of the business genesis of how they got together. And Coltrane was asked, who did he want to record with? And uh, he said the only person that he would record with was Johnny Hartman. They didn't know each other. Uh, they knew of each other, but they didn't know each other. And they got together and in one take, they 
it is the most perfect galaxy. Wow, wow, wow. That's the real story. Uh, uh, that album is in, in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Hall nice. of Fame. Nice. And if, okay. you, if you, they tell you you can have only one jazz album, that's the one to have. It's beautiful and it still resonates today. Do you have any regrets at all before we um, end our little conversation today? No. Looking back at your long life and career? No. No, I don't. Nope. No regrets. You know, Clarence, right. as you Let's go through life and as you do things, I just, I wanted to write. And I wanted to write opinionated pieces. Uh, I wanted to write, and, and when I was coming up, people like Mike Royko, Vernon Jarrett, Lou Palmer, Ethel Payne, who just got awarded, recognized today, they wrote strong pieces. And that was my footprint. And I wanted to write strong pieces too. I guess if somebody would have hired me, if a newspaper would have hired me, I probably would not have started Indigo. So sometimes when things don't work out or don't happen, you're not supposed to. And I think Indigo, I think we've made impact. I think we have changed the narrative on Black folk. And I think along the way, we've even taught people how to do it. Uh, and of course, we all follow the footsteps of John H. Johnson with Ebony, uh, where we talk about ourselves. It's very important for us to give authentic interpretation and representation to who we are, what we do, why we do it. Um, that's most important. I think that's what Ebony did. Ebony gave us definition. Uh, it didn't exist really before, uh, before Ebony and with magazines. And I read an article, I, I, I keep it on my desk. I keep it in front of me. Uh, the New York Times guy named Brent Staples wrote an article June, July 3rd, right before uh, Independence Day to declare that intentionally on purpose, white newspapers did not write about black people. They did not write about our successes. They did not write about our innovations. They wrote the crime story. Uh, these stories were intended to demean us and to keep us in a negative position with a negative light. Mm -hmm. I knew that from experience of reading and watching it, but it was just monumental that the New York Times wrote such an article and said it. Um, that was right after they decided that they would capitalize the B in black going forward. And in revealing that they would capitalize the B in black, they had to reveal that it was W.E.B. Du Bois who challenged them to capital N in Negro. And that's just basic respect for a people. And it all goes to say, that we were, we were so disrespected that you couldn't even capitalize, you couldn't even use the English language grammar. 
correctly to talk about us. That goes very deep with me. And it ought to go very deep with, with writers because that's, we have to correct that. We have to fix that. We have to address it. How would you like to be remembered? As a writer. Legacy. As a writer, somebody who challenged and changed, challenged the news media and changed it and gave a full portrayal of black folk. All right, anything else you wanna share at all? I'm good. Anything else you wanna tell no, us? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for a wonderful interview.